So it's all here. The story of our time with the bar call. That was President Lyndon Baines Johnson upon the dedication of his presidential library in 1971. Since then, the library has played host to the biggest names and best minds of our day who have helped to tell the story of our times through candid, revealing conversations with the Barkoff. This podcast delivers them straight to you. Welcome to With the Barkoff. I'm Mark Updegrove. Ben Barnes was a political protege of Lyndon Johnson. Elected to the Texas legislature in 1960 at age 21, he became the Speaker of the Texas House at age 26, making him the youngest House Speaker in a state legislature in the 20th century. He went on to become the Lieutenant Governor at age 30, a post he held for four years. As a politician, political strategist, or lobbyist, he has come to know every president since John F. Kennedy, offering political counsel to many, and has an especially close relationship with Joe Biden, whom he met when Biden was elected to become the junior senator from Delaware in 1972. I talked to him about last week's tragic siege on our nation's capital, the fate of President Trump who incited the incident, and what the Biden presidency will look like. We are truly honored to have you with us today. Let me start uh, by, we have this conversation at a very sobering, very sad time in our history, and I think our minds are all on the events and chaos of last week. What are your thoughts on on the events of last week and the siege that we saw on our nation's capital? Well, before I answer that question, Mark, thank you for having me. I want to thank you and, and the other people uh, at the LBJ Library for these podcasts. Uh, I think I can speak for all the friends of the library that this is a wonderful service you provide, and it's, it's great that you're having uh, given the friends of the library an opportunity to participate in, in these wonderful educational programs. And I'm grateful for that. I think the, the events of the last few days, Mark, are really without uh, words, my vocabulary to describe. It's hard to believe that, that what we've seen happen since last Wednesday has happened in the United States of America. And I had an opportunity to be on the telephone last night for an hour with with Senator Schumer, we had a group of friends talking about uh, the events and what had transpired, and he'd just been briefed by the FBI. And it's hard to believe that what took place at the Capitol last Wednesday and what uh, the aftermath has been, that it, that it really happened in the United States of America. Uh, if someone had told us uh, a few days ago that this was going to happen, I would have uh, disagreed with them. It's hard. It, it's it's really, really, really unbelievable. So you came up in the political ranks in the 1960s, a very, uh, like today, tempestuous, tumultuous era that included 1968, which President Johnson called the nightmare year. How does this compare to the events that you saw play out in the 1960s? Well, I think that, uh, those of us that remember Vietnam and remember the protests, remember that uh, the protests were mainly by young people and, and by people uh, that were male that were eligible for the draft and didn't want to go to Vietnam, uh, understandably so, and, 
and fight uh, a war that, that they didn't understand why we were there and why we were fighting that war. And so those people had one thing in mind, and that was the war, and they wanted to bring an end to the Vietnam War. Uh, these people that were part of last Wednesday's episode and what we've seen in some prior protests, these people are, are really victims of a lot of lies. It's, it's hard to believe that, that, that the, such a large number of people in the United States have really bought into what President Trump has told them. And I think that a lot of the people really legitimately believe that there were, these elections were, were uh, uh, rigged and that, that Donald Trump really won the presidency. And he's told it so many times and he's repeated it over and over again. And, and I, you know, I think some of these people really, uh, maybe, maybe I've tried to analyze uh, how they have been a, able to be seduced by these words of President Trump, but but I, I really don't think probably that there may be some lonely minds involved, and I think big lives uh, work in, in lonely minds. These people are confused. A lot of the people are they're they're good American citizens, but uh, they've been misled to the point that they have uh, uh, men's lesser instincts have come forth, and they are acting like uh, uh, people that are not citizens of a country that's free and that are citizens of a country that doesn't allow uh, people to opportunity to, to, to protest in a peaceful way. These were not protests. These, these, these were ugly scenes created to not only cause havoc, but to call, cause ruin. And, and I believe quite frankly, we have, we had five people to die that caused death and, and, and a democracy cannot survive when one of the vehicles that is available to the people is is uh, is violence. But we we can't tolerate violence in this country, uh, and and people are using violence rather than using the ballot box to bring about change in this country. We've heard about punitive actions that should be taken against President Trump, um, invoking the Twenty Fifth Amendment, impeachment, and uh, presumably expulsion by impeachment in the House, and presumably expulsion in the Senate. But what do you think should happen? We are now eight days away from inaugurating our 46th president. What can, we, can be done most expeditiously and most effectively to penalize President Trump for what has occurred? Well, prior to last Wednesday, I was for letting uh, Trump's turn run out and there be as peaceful a transition as we possibly could. And there not be any action taken uh, as, as far as President Trump's concerned. But I think after last Wednesday that we cannot take some kind of action to say that this is wrong and it's not acceptable behavior, uh, even on the part of the President of the United States. And whether it's a censor, whether it's uh, an impeachment, whether it's the, the vice president and the majority of the cabinet using the 25th Amendment to remove the president from office, I think there has to be an overt act taken by Congress and, may, and perhaps even taken by, by uh, the other people in Washington to uh, punish the president. And I, I know that's a strong word to say punish, but I don't think anybody that really uses their platform to incite 
a riot or to incite a, a really an overthrow of a government or to incite violence, that, that, that behavior must be punished. We can't tolerate that in a, in a, in a, in a, in a free country. And so uh, whatever the leadership decides that they can do and do in a, in a quick fashion, I know that President Biden wants to bring this country together. He, he really ran a campaign on, on bringing America together. And thank God for President Biden. Thank God for a, a man that really based his, his whole campaign on getting this country back working together. And that's, and that's what he's got so many wonderful programs and ideas that he's going to put forth uh, in his inaugural address and in his first hundred days in office. But, uh, and I know that he would prefer that everything be forgotten and we move ahead and bring America together. But I don't think uh, anybody that's got a conscience and that really loves this country doesn't recognize there's a need for us to say, no, you cannot do this. And no, someone cannot ever do it again. And it's wrong. So there's, so there's got to be somebody has, 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 has got to uh, pay for the crimes. And I use the word crimes and that's strong, but the crimes that were committed last Wednesday. So Ben, you are known to be a, a master political strategist, tactician, and have a mastery of the, the legislative process. So what would you do um, if you were in a position to exact punishment on the president, given the, the tools available to the vice president, the cabinet, the, the House, and the Senate? Well, first of all, I think that there is great strength in being able to get as many Republicans as you can to be a part of whatever action we take to punish the president. And I think you can get more Republican votes for a censor than you can any other uh, uh, vehicle that would be available to Congress. And so a censor is a, is a serious thing and it, it, will, it stays with you the rest of your life. Uh, I think that that's not the route that the House is going to go. I think the House is going to vote articles of impeachment and they're probably going to vote them tomorrow. And that what bothers me about that is that I don't think that unless Senator McConnell, uh, the majority leader of the Senate, decides to bring that uh, articles of impeachment to the United States Senate for a trial uh, in an orderly, timely fashion, that there's going to actually be a trial. And, and so, so the House voting articles of impeachment is, is a terrible thing. It'd be the only president ever be impeached twice by the House. And I, I think that, that if, if that's the only thing that's going to happen, then I, I, would, I would vote for impeachment. But I would, I would like to see censor because I think you could get another 40 or 50 votes in the House of Representatives for censor that you won't be able to get for impeachment. And I think perhaps that you could probably get a two-thirds vote in the United States Senate. I don't know that, but I think there would be a chance, a possibility of getting two-thirds votes of the Senate to censor the president. Ben, could you do the two concurrently? Could you get censure and still uh, go forward with impeachment proceedings? I don't think there's anything uh, that would prohibit you from doing that. And I don't think there's a choice that's got to be made either or but I don't think it has ever been tried. And the last person that was censored was Joseph McCarthy. And that ended his political career, which was a healthy thing in my, in my uh, mind. But I, 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 th I think you could probably do both. 
I don't know that time is, uh, is so short and it's so valuable. And I know that uh, I do not want the Senate not to start hearings on some of uh, President Biden's appointees, particularly his appointees in the Defense Department and, uh, and in, uh, in the CIA and our intelligence agencies. I want uh, Biden to be able to move and move quickly as far as our foreign policy is concerned, because I, I fear that the eyes of the world were on the United States last Wednesday afternoon. And I think there cannot keep from being among our, our friends and our adversaries a feeling of vulnerability that the United States may be suffering at this time uh, through their, the eyes of, of those people watching our television screens. And, and I think there was a four or five hour period there that the United States of America, as we know it, was very, very vulnerable. Uh, you mentioned Joe Biden, and I'm going to come back to, to President-elect Biden in a moment. But let me uh, ask a question that has we received from several of our attendees, and that is about the future of the Republican Party. Do you think that the Republican Party will continue to be the party of Donald Trump? Or if not, will there be a significant portion of the Republican Party that continues to follow Donald Trump in his post-presidency? I hope and pray, Mark, that there is a large part of the Republican Party that will not follow Trump and not be a part of the of the of the Trumpsters uh, in the future. I hope that we're going to look to people who, in the past, like the Bush family, uh, like uh, so many other great people in the in the. Re in the Republican Party. I'm not a Republican. I'm a Democrat, but we need a strong Republican Party. We need a party of the Bushes and the, and the parties of the Ronald Reagans. We, we, we've had good leaders and we've had responsible people that love America. And I've always been very careful to tell my Democratic friends that we do not have a patent or a franchise or a trademark on love of this country that Republicans, uh, it's their country too, and, and, and they love our freedoms and they love this land also. But they have got to take this party back and they've got to exhibit uh, their desire to make a change because if, if they do nothing but sit back and let, and let Donald Trump be the policymaker for the Republican Party, it's wrong, it's bad. And, and we as, as Democrats, but even more important than as Democrats, is we as the people of this country, we've got to do everything we can to stop the sphere of influence that Donald Trump's had the past four years. Who do you see as the most logical members of the Republican Party to take it back? Uh, are there emerging leaders that you see in the Republican ranks who could bring the, the uh, uh, Republican Party back to some semblance of normalcy, at least in terms of what political parties used to be? Well, I, I hope so. Uh, you know, Mitt Romney, the senator from Utah and, and former presidential candidate, has, has displayed a great deal of political courage of being willing to take on Trump when no one else has been willing to do that in the, in the present United States Senate. And I hope that, that Senator Romney and others like him will be able to put together a, a, a coalition that, about rebuilding the party. I'll give a plug to a 
former faculty member at, at the LBJ school, uh, uh, Senator Sass from, uh, from Nebraska is, is a very uh, gifted uh, orator and, and I think a good student of politics. And I, I'm sure that he, he learned a lot of the things he knows that's good and right from the, at the LBJ school. But, uh, but, uh, but, but Senator Sass is a, is a very, very good example of the kind of leadership that I would like to see come forth in the Republican Party. I want to go back to your your friend Joe Biden? I know you, you two have an enormously close friendship. I've seen it up close myself. Uh, the two of you met almost fifty years ago when you were both young Turks coming up in the in the Democratic ranks. Talk about how you met Joe Biden, Ben. Well, Joe Biden was a, a young Democrat like myself, and we were both showed up at the same meeting together. Uh, both. Uh, young, ambitious, uh, thought we should be uh, king, or if, if, but if the people weren't going to make king available, we'd be happy to be president. But, uh, <laughs> but Joe Biden uh, is a steady, dependable person, and I have known him for over 50 years, and, and thank God that Biden stayed in politics. Thank God that he uh, despite his family difficulties of losing a wife and a daughter and, and then losing a son, that he stayed the, he stayed the, the way, he, he, he stayed the course. He, he was determined to continue to serve this country and serve it well, he did. And then when, when uh, President Obama selected him as vice president, what a wonderful thing, the eight years training he got, the experience he's got. He's probably, uh, and it's, it's, that a lot of the conversation in Washington is about the very thing. That, uh, and it makes me very proud because of my friendship with uh, President Johnson and President Biden, that, that people say that, that Joe Biden is the most qualified person to be president of the United States since Lyndon Johnson, that he understands government and how it works. And, and it's, it's very true. I don't think there's any people that have been elected in the last 120 years in, in the United States that have had the legislative experience that Lyndon Johnson and Joe Biden have, and they share that in common. And I hope that uh, that President Biden has the success in his first four years uh, in, in, in the presidency that Lyndon Johnson had. And I, I think he has the potential to be able to work with Congress. And I think it's uh, wonderful that he's got 50 Democratic senators and 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 the, the Democrats control the House and control the White House. Uh, Sometimes it's better for America that for the for the, the Congress to be divided, maybe for Republicans and Democrats. This doesn't and it shouldn't be coming from a Democrat. But sometimes it's 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 okay for there to be a divided Congress, and, and it's okay for Republicans to have a great deal of power when Democrats are in office, or vice versa when Democrat when Republicans in office for the Democrats to have uh, power. But I think it's uh, very important. I think maybe the hand of fate was there in those two Senate races in Georgia, because mm -hmm. to bring the country together, like Biden has the potential to do, he's going to have to have some successes. He's going to have to wage a war against this virus that's killing so many of our American people. He's going to have to have the, 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 the votes to be able to move swiftly and to be able to get the vaccine in people's arms and to get people to 
to, to wear a mask and to safely distance and to do the things that we know that we do, but unfortunately we've all not been doing it. And it's caused a lot of, a lot of sickness and a lot of death in America because we've not listened to him. But, I, but Biden's going to, he's, he's going to really demand that we, that we listen. And I think that's very healthy. And, and, and we've got to have a, we've got to have a, another bill to, uh, to help these people with unemployment insurance and 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 to really keep their businesses and to keep from being thrown out of their of their apartments and their homes, we, we America is is at a serious serious crossroads, and I don't think we've had such an economic crossroads uh, since uh, FDR. And I was not alive during the depression, but I remember my parents talking about how deplorable it was, but. The, the difference now and then, America was a rural country during the Depression. Mm. And a lot of people could live off the landmark. They, we all had gardens. And I remember everybody paid attention to, to growing a lot of their own food. And, 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 and people were living on farms. And if people didn't have houses, well, the neighbors would help build them uh, places to live on in, in rural America. But today, we're, we're becoming an urban nation. And we're we're crammed into the cities and there's not, not enough adequate housing in particular, our minorities suffer for not having the, the kind of housing available to them that others do. And they, they've suffered disproportionately and with these, with the virus because of the, some of their living conditions and, and their standard of living. So America is a different place. And we, we have to have the hand of the government to, to available to reach out and help these citizens and that we got the, one of the highest unemployment rates we've ever had. So it's, it's going to be necessary for Biden to be able to move and move quickly. And so therefore I think it's good that the, that the uh, legislative bodies are both in the hands of the Democrats right now. You know, uh, president elect Biden about as well as anybody aside from his immediate family. Um, what makes him tick? Well, again, I, I uh, cannot keep from making the comparison between Johnson and Biden. Uh, Biden uh, is a, uh, he's a student of politics. He's a student of government. That's really kind of been Joe's life. It, uh, I beg his pardon now. It's Mr. President Biden. Uh, but, but that's been his life. And he, he was, uh, I think, a good story. Uh, to know about Joe Biden. When Joe Biden left the Senate after serving 40 years, he was the poorest member of the United States Senate. Joe had never gone out and really made any money, and, and but he'd just been a senator. And he, his, his net worth was only around a half million dollars when he left the Senate because the only thing, only thing he had was equity in his house in Delaware. And he rode the train every day back to Delaware and spent the night with his family. He started doing that when his sons didn't have a mother and he continued that the rest of his life. And as a matter of fact, his nickname was Amtrak Joe because the, the train ran between Delaware and, and, and Boston. And he was on the last, he was on, on the first train coming to Washington in the morning and the last train going back, but he lived and breathed politics. And so he uh, uh, obviously enjoys it but it's been his life and it's, and it consumed him. It was uh, an obsession that was, uh, well, it, as far as we're concerned, it was a magnificent obsession, but, 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 but for Biden, it was an all consuming obsession. And 
that was true of President Johnson also in that, that everyone knows that Lyndon Johnson worked seven days a week and he had a relationship with all the members of the House and Senate, Republican or Democrat, urban or rural, North or South, white or black or brown. Uh, if, you, if you were there in Washington and, and, and were, were a player, you were gonna be jo Lyndon Johnson's friend if you'd let him be your friend. And I think that that's something that Joe Biden shared with Johnson. Joe Biden wants to be every legislator's friend. He wants to he wants to work with every member of the House and Senate. And if they'll give him a chance, and and really get over a lot of the partisan disease that has has ruined a lot of the objectivity of both Republicans and Democrats in Congress, Joe Biden is one of the few people that I know that has the tenacity and the ability and the desire and the courage to bring this country back together. And lo and behold, I don't think America has ever needed someone like Lyndon Johnson or a Joe Biden like we need it today. You talked about uh, President-elect Biden having uh, as much experience as anyone who's coming to the presidency since Lyndon Johnson. Lyndon Johnson was a congressman for 11 years, he was a senator, for 12 years, including becoming the most powerful Senate majority leader, certainly of the 20th century. I became vice president for three years before assuming the presidency himself. Joe Biden was in the Senate for 36 years before becoming vice president for eight years. But Ben, how does that experience, that formidable experience that, that, that President-elect Biden has uh, come into play when he comes into office during a time of unprecedented crisis? Well, first of all, I, Joe Biden has got a, a, a great personal trait, and that is he doesn't take things personally from the standpoint that you can uh, disagree with Joe, Joe Biden very strongly and, and, and say bad things about his position and his ideas on the floor of the Senate. But when the Senate adjourns that day, Joe Biden is going to be over there talking to you and telling you you made a good speech and although he disagreed with you. But Joe Biden likes to be a, a, a player in the legislative process. And to be an effective member of the Senate or the member of any legislative body, you've got to be, to be willing to, to not let things affect you personally, not elected. It's very hard, it's easy for me to say, but it's hard not to take things personally. People say things bad about you, or bad about your family, or bad about, about but you, you, you've got to get over that because you've got to understand that there's a new issue tomorrow, and there's a new issue next week, and there's a new issue next month that, that you may need the, that person's help on, and you may have the same uh, views on that particular issue while you just disagreed violently on, on, on the issue of today. And, and Joe Biden understands that. And I've seen him uh, get along with, uh, so it was, it's amazing, you know, Joe Biden, uh, I think I think something in, to, to talk about death is not is is not appropriate, particularly not at this time. But but you know, uh, Joe Biden uh, spoke at John McCain's funeral, a Republican. He spoke at Strom Thurmond's funeral. Got some criticism because he spoke at a at a funeral of a segregationist. He uh, was very good friends with Senator Heflin. Uh, from Alabama, he's he's he. But but Joe Biden is, has uh, 
has had it, not as perhaps as many, but he's had the friendship of many of the great Republican uh, senators and, and, and house members that he's worked with. And, uh, and that's, that's why that, uh, that he was so valuable to, to Senator, to President Obama, that because Joe Biden, Joe Biden could go talk and, and, uh, and negotiate with Mr. McConnell when no one else at the, in the uh, Obama administration could do that. Joe Biden mm-hmm. could do it. And he, and he, and he still has a relationship with, with, with McConnell. And I think that'll be very healthy for America. That the that the president and the majority and now the minority leader, I like saying the minority leader, uh, is our, our friends. Right. Uh, you have advised Joe Biden in the past. Uh, several uh, folks attending today have asked what counsel you would give President Biden in those first crucial days he spends in the presidency. Well, I think that Joe Biden. Uh, First of all, doesn't need my advice very much. I, I think he's got, I think he's got a great game plan. Uh, I, I, I would advise him to uh, to deal with deal with the with the pandemic. I, 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 I would I would go after this virus uh, with tooth and nail to trying everything I could to get as many people vaccinated in this country and provide the hospital supplies. Uh, that, that we need, that, that there'll be no one that will, that would get die or suffer unduly that has this disease because they don't have supplies in the hospital. I think he will use, use the power that he has to, to uh, under the Military Powers Act to, uh, to uh, get private business, get manufacturing to, to do those supplies. I, I think he'll it will lean on the drug companies to even make sure that, that we're, we're producing more vaccine and American drug companies are not producing vaccine that they're going to be selling abroad before they meet the needs of the American people. I think he will recommend a another uh, bill to, to take care of the, of the unemployed and take care of the people that that, that need help that need a meet of government assistance. I think he will recommend a major infrastructure bill, our, our highways and our, our bridges, our dams. So much of our infrastructure is crumbling today. Joe Biden recognizes that. Then they they must it must be repaired. It must be fixed. But it also, uh, if we do it with public private partnerships and bring private money into this sector, as as Europe and Asia has done so effectively, we can have a major major infrastructure bill that will create millions of jobs, and we'll be rebuilding America. I think Joe Biden is interested in high-speed trains. I think he's interested in making certain we deepen and widen our ports where we can we can participate in the shipping industry and where we can take the Pandamanian ships that we can't take in our ports now because they're not deep enough and wide enough. I think he understands what needs to be done to make the United States competitive in in year 2021 and 22. And, and I, I think we're going to see a... a almost a, a revolution, an industrial revolution, if Congress will give, give President Biden the support he needs. And I think out of that industrial revolution is gonna come a lot of jobs, hmm. but it's also become uh, and create a lot of better ways to do things and, and for us to be a part of the space age. Uh, Joe Biden, for instance, headed up the space shot uh, uh, for cancer uh, that, that uh, President Obama uh, let him 
be the leader for the last two years of, of his administration. And Joe Biden understands cancer probably better than any president we've ever had. And I think there's a real chance that we're going to see developed in the next four years a lot of different treatments and a lot of different drugs that are going to bring us closer to uh, eradicating cancer as, as, as one of the major uh, diseases that takes Americans' lives. I just think that, that, that with the 40 years experience you're talking about or 50 years experience, that Joe has, I think that, that we're going to see a lot of positive things happen in government that hadn't happened before. And, and I think we're going to be see reason, and I'm, I hope I, it's not wishful thinking. I, I'm, a, I'm one of the great optimists in the world anyway, as my friends will know, but, but I, I really believe that, that, that the next four years can be some of the greatest times that we've ever seen in the United States and it comes along at a time that we really need encouragement. We need people to have, have renewed spirit and renewed confidence in our system of government. And people have seen that, you know, people talk about, well, we've, we've really been uh, a free country and everybody's had a right to participate since the Civil War. Well, that's really not been true. It's it really, really black and brown uh, Americans really only have been a part of this system since Lyndon Johnson passed the Civil Rights and the Voting Rights Act in, in, in 1964 and 65. So we've only, we've only had this experiment 55 years where everybody had a chance. Everybody was a shareholder. Everybody could go vote. And that's what, that, that's what makes you a shareholder is going to vote. But I think some of the large voter turnout that happened in this last election and, 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 these, and this last fair election, these were fair elections. Uh, there were complications as there were in, in all elections, but there was no, no widespread voter fraud. But I, but I think that the participation, the large number of Americans that went to the polls and voted is the reason that we should be optimistic about the next four years or about the next decade is because people now recognize that they, that they must much more than in the past that they must participate in government and in, in the in the electoral process, and I think it's so healthy. Can America under a Biden presidency regain its moral authority, its its moral leadership in the world? Well, I think that uh, Joe Biden, I think every president has to lead by example, and I I, I think we have seen really how powerful the president, the office of president of the United States is, not only in this country, but around the world, people look to the president of the United States. And I think you lead by example, you lead by words, and you lead by deeds. And I think that we've elected a man that's very well equipped to lead by his words, by his deeds, and by, by his life. I think Joe Biden's life and what he's done in the past and what he'll do in the future will be a very good example of, of what American citizenship should be about. Mm. Uh, several of our audience members have asked what should happen to Senator Ted Cruz for continuing to, to challenge the election after the attack on the Capitol. I guess you could ask the same question of Josh Hawley from Missouri. What steps should be taken uh, to, to penalize those senators for continuing to divide this country and question the results of last year's election? 
Well, Mark, I believe that uh, all's fair in politics and love and war, we say, where everything's fair in love and war in politics. It's fair, whatever you want to say and whatever you want to do, as long as you tell the truth. But when you stand on the floor of the United States Senate and lie, as Ted Cruz did and as Josh Hawley did, and uh, boy, I, 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 I'll, I'll play, uh, I'll play uh, uh, cards or any game of chance with any of those guys if, they'll t if, if we're going to all tell the truth. But they didn't tell the truth. Ted Cruz stood on the floor of the United States Senate and misled the American people. But, uh, but it's not only misleading him, but he, his words were maybe not as responsible, but certainly responsible for a lot of the things that happened in the Capitol on last Wednesday afternoon. And he can't really, he can't stand up and say, and he's already had a press release. I've seen the pen clip where he said, oh, well, I don't condone violence. This was a terrible thing. Well, he, he condoned it up until, until uh, they, 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 they took over the Capitol. And, and if they could have gotten their hands on a lot of our elected officials, they probably would have taken their lives. He was standing right up there and saying, we got to do that. Well, he wasn't telling the truth. And I think that censor or, or, or something, there needs to be some recognition uh, by the public and the constituents of Ted Cruz and Senator Hawley of, of, of what they did. And I, 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 they shouldn't be able to just be able to get a shower and comb their hair and put on a different shirt and say, oh, well, I didn't really mean that. It, this, this is a new day. Now, let me tell you, I'm, I'm opposed to all these bad things. Uh, they shouldn't escape untarred. Mm. Our friend Neil Spells has asked what senators you're going to look to as Biden tries to enact his legislative agenda. Who, who do you think the most powerful senators will be as uh, they go back into session under a Biden presidency? Well, I think that uh, Ron Wyden will be, uh, he's going to be chairman of the Finance Committee. And, uh, and there'll, there'll be a, a lot of the legislation that will be originating out of the Finance Committee. Uh, there'll be uh, uh, out of the Agriculture Committee, Debbie Stebenall from, from Michigan, uh, the, the, the chairman of the Agriculture Committee is very important to Texas. And I think Debbie understands a lot of the problems of the farm and ranchers in Texas. And we've got a big responsibility to the other 49 states to be continue to be one of the real breadbaskets of this country. And so it, it's, it, it's important agriculture. And, uh, and, you know, I, I, I want us to see that, uh, that we're going to uh, have a lot of, uh, of emphasis on, on energy and on clean energy. And I think that the, the that the, a lot of the leaders in the in the in the Senate that, that are that are involved in, in energy and it's it's very important to Texas, uh, and it's strange uh, to the, there's there's not a contradiction between oil and gas and hydrocarbons and clean energy. There, the, there's there's a way to do both. There's a way to still have a strong. Uh, domestic oil and, and gas business that, that, that produces and gives us the energy that we have to have right now and still cleaning up our, our, our air and our water. And so uh, that's going to be an emphasis of Biden and it's going to be important to, to Texas also. 
uh, one of our uh, members asks um, about the Biden inauguration. We've seen that a lot can happen in a very short period of time. I mentioned that uh, President-elect Biden will become our next president in eight days time. You've been invited to the inauguration, Ben. Do you worry about security around the, the Biden inaugural? Yes, I do worry about it. And I, I uh, there's a news story moving right now out that I've just read the Huffington Post about uh, uh, some of the things that are, that, are, that, that are at least being said that could possibly happen. And one of them is, is, is really the, the, the riders being able to take control of the perimeter around the, the Capitol and around the Supreme Court and not letting people enter that they didn't want to enter. And it's, it's, there's a lot of bad things that, that, that prior to Wednesday, I would have said that they're total fiction. But I believe that, there's, that anything can happen right now. And I'm, I am about to make the decision that I'm going to attend Joe Biden's inauguration uh, by virtual that I'm going to look, I'm going to look at it on my, on my television screen or on my iPad. I, I, uh, I think that it's uh, not a wise idea to go assemble hundreds of thousand people uh, for an inauguration with, with the unsettled uh, uh, political atmosphere that we have today. You mentioned the importance of having a Democratic-led Congress and a Democratic-led Senate for a President Biden to go forward and enact his agenda. But there was much talk about the left wing of the Democratic Party and the socialist leaning, so-called socialist leanings of, the, of that, that, that left wing. Um, Joe Biden has shown himself to be a moderate, but many people have talked about the pressures that he would face, Ben. How do you think uh, President Biden will govern and how he, will he deal with that left wing of the party? Well, I, I can say it uh, no better than Biden said it himself uh, 60 days ago on the television. Uh, they, they asked him about how in the world was he going to deal with the far left and, and was he going to lean towards socialism? They were setting the stage to talk about the, the left wing of the Democratic Party. And Joe Biden said, hey, wait a minute. Uh, do you all remember the primary? Uh, every one of my opponents ran to the left of me. Uh, he, I, I was the moderate in the race, and 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 he he said that aloud and and very and 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 very very strongly. I think this. I think Biden is a moderate. I think he's going to be a moderate Democrat. I think he's going to uh, do the things that that uh, he talked about in the campaign. A lot of the things that he debated on that debate stage with the people to his left. Uh, sure, there's there's people that that are to the left of Joe Biden, and there's people that are to the left of the of of uh, of the mainstream of the Democratic Party, and they're part of the Democratic Party. And if they want to be part of the Democratic Party, I welcome them. I, if, if they want to be, if they want to talk about socialism, and if they're going to be a, a socialist, then I think they ought to go arm the socialist party or join the socialist party and and be, be a part of it. But Joe Biden is a moderate Democrat, and I expect him to to hold that course. Now, does that mean that he's going to agree with me on everything? No, it, it doesn't. But I, I think that when it's all said and done, that, uh, that, that Joe Biden is going to be a, a voice of moderation. He's going to be a, he's going to be a progressive leader that wants America to bring about change in the areas that we need to change, but he is not going to not to be, uh, 
a person that's going to spend this country into a huge, huge deficit and not worry about it. You know, one of the things I admired about President Johnson so much, there the war was going on, and it was so tough, and it was so unpopular. But Lyndon Johnson, during that war, during those difficult times of the administration, passed a tax bill to pay for the Vietnam War. And that was a hard thing to do then. And, and particularly to pass the tax bill to fund an unpopular war. Well, Joe Biden is going to be fiscally responsible and he's not going to let a, this, this country get off in a, in a financial disaster. It's just not going to happen. He's going to find the money to do the things that we must do. And we're going to have our priorities right now is to get America back to work again. And he's going to do that. But I, but I think the, the people that are concerned about Joe Biden veering to the left, to the extreme left, and doing some things that, 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 will, that will not be uh, uh, in the best interest of the people of Texas and the people of this country, uh, uh, Joe Biden is a safe, sound, reasonable leader. Uh, clearly, uh, President Biden will call for unity in our country. It's, it's one of his great challenges is how polarized we are right now. And he's going to be challenged to bridge the divide. Our friend Eugene Sepulveda asks to what extent the attorney general for Joe Biden and his or her uh, Department of Justice should investigate uh, the Biden, uh, excuse me, the, the Trump administration for corruption during the course of the last four years. Well, they should, when, when there's something called to their attention that, that uh, there is a potential violation of the law, they should investigate it. But all laws have got, uh, their laws have got to apply equally to everyone, whether you're president or, or whether, whether you're from De Leon, Texas. Uh, I, I really, uh, uh, I don't think that Biden is going to go over to his Justice Department and say, hey, you, you all go in, investigate the Trump family, go investigate all the things that happened. But I don't think that's going to happen. But do I think that the Attorney General of the United States, when he finds something that's wrong, that violated the law, and he asked Joe Biden about it, I, first of all, I don't think Joe Biden is going to tell him what to do. I think Joe Biden is going to say, Mr. Attorney General, you go do your job. You take an oath of office and, you, uh, and, and your oath provides that you should look at things like that. So I, I, I really think that, uh, that Biden's selection uh, as attorney general was a very appropriate one. And, and I, I really think that uh, he, he's a, about as uh, the new attorney general is, is no one's removed from politics. And yeah, everybody can say, well, he, he's not involved in politics. We were all involved in politics that, that, that's hang around the, the pool all. But, uh, but I, I believe that this attorney general is a, uh, is a very judicious person who's going to call balls and strikes as he sees them very fairly. And he's not going to be on the phone asking Joe Biden whether that was a ball or a strike. He's going to call the ball and strikes uh, as he sees them. You mentioned that Lyndon Johnson considered you his political protege and thought you were the, the future of the Democratic Party. Tom Johnson asks who you think the future of the Democratic Party will be. Who would you? Who is the next Ben Barnes of the uh, the Democratic Party? Well, no, let's not wish that on the Democratic Party. <laughs> uh, so uh, let's, let's not do that. But uh, there's there are a lot of uh, of good p 
people in the House and Senate that uh, that have got the potential. And uh, I think that's one of the reasons that I've remained a Democrat is I think the Democratic Party has made places for young leaders, perhaps more so than our opposing party, the, the Republican Party. I, I've, I've always felt like that, that President Johnson's advice of, that you, it's, it's not enough to go win and be in public office. You have to uh, be looking for a bench of younger people that have got leadership potential to help get in into the mainstream where they too can be the office holders of today and tomorrow. And I think the Democratic Party has done that uh, much better than any other party. And I think we're going to continue to do it. And I think this, that, that, that Joe Biden, 78 years old and, and almost 50 years experience in, 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 in politics, I think that after he, he's going to worry about He's going to worry about the virus. He's going to worry about getting people back to work. He's going to worry about the infrastructure. He's going to worry about the the, the nuclear weapons that North Korea may have. He's, he's going to recognize that we've got to deal with China and Russia. He's going to put all of those things uh, in his plate every day, and he's going to deal with them. But I believe Joe Biden also is going to be, at night, when he has a moment to think, he's going to be thinking about who are the young people now that are in my administration that are on the floor of the house and Senate that are in the state legislatures that are governors. Who are the people that, that we need to help? We need to promote because we've got to get a team ready. Uh, when I, when I leave this white house. And I think that's one of the reasons quite frankly, that I think Joe Biden ran as well as he did. I think he, he projected that he was very open-minded about the future. And that he was not going to look for any exclusivity, that he was going to open his arms and try to get them around a group of leaders that this country needs in four and six and eight and 10 years. Will he run in 2024, Ben, do you think? He'll be 81 years old. I don't have any idea, but I know this. Joe Biden is one of the healthiest men that I've ever known. Joe Biden doesn't drink. He doesn't smoke. And he exercises. And I wish that I'd say that I had lived uh, the kind of life that Joe Biden had lived because he 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 is uh, you you walk up I tell you uh, President Obama takes a great deal of pride of being in shape and he is in shape a lot a lot better shape than me maybe not than you Mark but 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 I walked up uh, in the last few months of of Obama's presidency and there was Joe Biden and Obama and I don't know why, but I ended up grabbing both of them by the arm talking to him. Uh, maybe I learned that from Linda Johnson, but I put my hands on. But anyway, I was amazed. Joe Biden's biceps are, are a lot stronger and, and, and tougher than, 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 uh, than President Obama. And he's always taking great pride. And I kind of, I kind of, kind of flushed his arm a little bit. And I said, boy, the vice president's in a lot better shape than the president. Well, the president didn't really like me saying that, but I said it, but, uh, but, but Joe Biden is in good shape. And, and, and he, he uh, will. He will not run if he thinks that he's too old. I assure you that he's not. He's not going to to want to die in office or want to be in office when he's not going to be on his game. Uh, and that's what everybody was talking about during the campaign. 
Joe Biden, well, he's slipping there. I worry about Joe Biden being old. You don't worry about Joe Biden being old. You, you, just, just worry about getting him the people around him he needs. He, he's going to make us all proud. Uh, ben, I talked about the importance of uh, Joe Biden sounding a message of uni- unity, and, and, and invariably he will in his inaugural remarks. And he'll call Americans to come together during this, I think, very desperate hour. Is it possible to unite America, given the deep fissures in our nation right now? Mark, it's going to be possible. Is it going to be hard? Yes, it's going to be hard. Is it going to be harder probably than any time in maybe in this 250-year history plus this country? It may be the hardest right now. It may even be harder than after the Civil War, and that, that's only re- that I can reflect on the Civil War based on history books. But I'm not too sure that uh, the most important thing in the world is to heal America and get us back together. And I'll tell you, if, if Joe Biden, and I think he'll do a lot of things, but if he only did one thing, if he's able to dissolve the hatred, the animosity, the misunderstanding, and the bitter partisan bickering, if he is able to bring that to not a, maybe a conclusion, but to make it a much, much narrow experience of people that are legislating in Washington and that are legislating in our state capital, if he can get people back together working on the issues that we face today, then he will have made the greatest contribution perhaps that any president's made, and certainly in recent time, and maybe any president ever. Uh, I don't think there's anything more important than this country being back together. And uh, we all got an obligation and commitment to do it for ourselves and our children. And, and we need to, to help Joe Biden because when we're helping him bring America back together, we're helping ourselves. Governor Ben Barnes, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, ben, thank you so much. This was a fascinating conversation. We appreciate you being with us today. Thank you, Mark. My thanks to Ben Barnes to our sponsors, St. David's Healthcare and the Moody Foundation, and of course, to you for joining us. If you've enjoyed this episode, subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Mark Updegrove. See you next time.